This episode contains sensitive content on emotionally abusive relationships that may be triggering to some listeners. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share inspiring conversations to help you live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebilagin. Some of you might recognize Erin Barnett from reality TV shows like Love Island and I'm a Celebrity. To be honest, I had no idea who Erin was when I first came across her book, Endo Unfiltered. But reading about how she was dismissed by doctors at the age of 14 when she first complained about her pain and swelling, doctors who kept insisting that she must be pregnant when she'd never had sex, and then the 16 surgeries she's had since being diagnosed with endometriosis and PCOS, it felt important to share her story when so many women are suffering in silence. Approximately one in nine women are affected by endometriosis. On average, it takes 6.5 years to be diagnosed, while many women remain undiagnosed for even longer. In this chat, Erin talks honestly about how living with the chronic disease has affected her life, relationships and work. We talk about themes that women are broadly affected by, like the idea that periods are meant to be painful and we should just suck it up and carry on, and the frustrations of not being listened to by healthcare providers. We also talk about sensitive topics like emotionally abusive relationships, being okay with not being able to have a baby, but also her anger at the fact that it's easier to get cosmetic surgery than it is to get a hysterectomy for her endometriosis. So before we get into your story, I thought we could start by talking about the differences between PCOS and endometriosis. And then what it's been like for you to have experienced both. Okay, so polycystic ovaries, you can have either polycystic ovaries or polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, They're very very alike, just um, syndrome is a bit worse. (laughs) And I've got polycystic ovaries, which I've had since I was 14, and they're just when you have cysts that grow inside or outside of your ovaries. Um, They can be caused from all different types of hormones. It's not really based down to just one or two and they can be very painful and you can have all different types of cysts. You can have a dermoid, um, an endometrium cyst. Um, The dermoid cyst is actually filled with hair, skin and nails, which is really weird. And I've had three of them. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it's really gross. (laughs) Yeah, that's one thing that I didn't, I actually wasn't aware of that it did grow hair. Yes, because it's from your um, your follicles inside your ovary, so like your eggs. Yeah, it develops hair. Um, it can develop skin and nails inside of it. I had one that was just full of hair, um, and that was very interesting. They told me when they took it out, they could just see um, when they cut open the cyst, it was just all black hair. Oh, <laughs> and I was wow. like, that's so interesting. Yeah. Got brown hair. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and endometriosis is when the lining similar to what grows inside of your uterus in your womb, similar, not the same, um, grows everywhere else out in your body. Um, it actually can be found in most places. It doesn't really untouch anything. <laughs> and you just got to think of it like when you get your period, everything kind of comes out of you. But instead, the endometriosis inside of you is still reacting to those hormones. So obviously, wherever the endometriosis is going to cause you pain. So if it's on your bowel or um, on the outside of your ovary, it's not shredding the blood, it's just growing. 
And the issue with the two is that a lot of people have quite similar symptoms from both PCOS and endo. Can you tell And they work very well together. (laughs) Yeah. So what's it been like for you to have experienced both? Well, I also now have adenomyosis, which is endometriosis inside the uterus wall. So I've got all three. Um, Having them all together, I can't really differ between one and the other. They all Mm. just kind of mix together. Um, So once I had PCOS and then got told I had endometriosis and just recently got told I have adenomyosis, the the being diagnosed doesn't really affect me that much. It's just kind of like the pain still feels the exact same. Yeah. And I guess because you've experienced, uh, uh, do you think all three have been going on concurrently and it was just, they've just been diagnosed at different times? Yeah, I think my PCOS was diagnosed when I was 14 because I had that three kilo cyst and they kept telling my mum, but not really me, because you know, at that age, doctors talk to your parents. They don't really talk to you. Yeah. Um, that I had something that looked like endometriosis, but surely not at her age. So we're just going to put her on a new pill and um, it's only been in the last year. Well, I had surgery in, on the 6th of December that I had um, adenomyosis. Every other surgery I've had, my uterus wall was clear as anything. Um, so that was just new. It's obviously just been growing, but we couldn't see it. Hmm. When you talked about that first cyst that you found at 14 and I was reading your book about that experience and it was so big that doctors thought that you were 21, 22 weeks pregnant. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's so crazy. How, and especially as a teen, it must've been so overwhelming. And because yeah. you talk about was, to not, you had weren't even having sex back then. So it's like all yeah. these people are accusing was, me of having a, being pregnant. And Hey, well, I know it was really bad timing. Cause I just had um, recently got into my first ever relationship. And uh, then, you know, you're at the doctors and they're like, you know, you sure you're not pregnant? Is it because mum's in the room? And I'm like, mum, I swear to God, she's like giving me those mum eyes. Yeah. I'm like, I have not had sex. And then they like made me do two pregnancy tests, like, you know, the ones you pee in, the stick ones. And then they also got me to do a blood test to make sure I wasn't pregnant. And I was like, this is really frustrating. Yeah. Um, They even got my mum to step out of the room at one stage. And I was like, it doesn't make a difference. If I tell you I'm pregnant here, I'm going to have to go home and tell my mum I'm pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, and you're not pregnant. Yeah, and I was like, and I'm definitely not. And then when they saw that it was that dermoid cyst um, or that three-kilo fluid cyst or whatever it was inside me that was huge, they were like, yeah, get her into emergency surgery straight away. That Because I was like, I always thought I was just a chubby kid and I was always like hitting my stomach being like, you know, why am I so fat down there? Like I don't understand. And because I always thought it was rock hard and it was just fat. Mm. <laughs> and then it turns out it was a massive cyst and putting pressure on it was probably making it fill up quicker (laughs) do you know how old you were when it first when you first started noticing it I'm gonna say like when I was 13 I just thought my stomach area was just getting bigger but when I laid flat it was like you were pregnant you know like you couldn't suck it in you couldn't touch move it or bend it or anything it was really noticeable but um I thought but when I sat up and gravity took over everything just kind of looked the same (laughs) But when, I, when you lay flat, it's super, super noticeable. When you retell that experience of the doctors being so dismissive, it kind of reminds me of another theme in your book, really about empowering people who, who are, when they're in that patient-doctor relationship, empowering the patient. And you call it even being like a nightmare patient. Can you explain what you <laughs> mean by that to our listeners and why it's so important 
to know your rights and feel empowered. Absolutely. I think it's because when you go see a doctor, you already put them on a pedestal because you're like, oh, wow, they're a doctor. They must have been studying for years and, you know, they're going to know so much so more than you. So you kind of put yourself really below them and um, you just trust everything that they say. And then when they start being dismissive and that you get upset and it's really upsetting. So I just decided to tell everyone that just Try and educate yourself on what you know before you go into the doctors. I know we're not going to do Dr. Google or anything, but if you go in there with information that the doctor's probably going to tell you, they might get a different idea and think, oh, she probably actually knows what she's talking about here. Um, If you go in with different treatment options that you would like to try instead of getting a doctor to tell you what's best for you, if you have a scenario or treatment that you would like to try first, I recommend doing that instead of getting told by a doctor what you should get done first. I know it seems really silly because they're doctors, but if they say to you, try these pills, but you're not into trying medication, you want to just go straight to having surgery, then that should be your right. You shouldn't have to be a guinea pig on medication just so the doctor can tick off some lists of things that he has to do before he can refer you to a surgeon. Mm. Can you give another example of an experience you've had like that? Um, I think it was... Well, say, for instance, I went into a GP once. I was trying to find a new GP and I was talking about my PCOS pain and all the surgeries that I had. I think I had only had four or five at the time. And the GP kept saying, oh, yes, I completely understand. And I was like, oh, explain to me how your ovaries and your vagina bleeds when um, you get your period. Because you're telling me that you know and you understand, but I don't actually think you do. Mm. And it's just words like that. And they would be like, no, I don't understand, but I've got daughters. I'm like, okay, yeah, but that still doesn't mean you understand. Like you can feel for someone, but you don't actually understand what they're going through. So just going in there with guns blazing pretty much and mm. just just do the right thing for your body. And I know that they're a doctor, so they're very well educated, but still that doesn't mean they know your body more than you. Mm. I guess another good example of that is when you write about fertility and how frustrated you've been by doctors who have chosen to protect your fertility over helping to resolve your pain. Even though for you personally, you've made your wishes clear that, that you really want to prioritize resolving that pain. Now that that's a massive thing to be dismissed about. Like how have you yeah. dealt with that over the years? Oh God, it's been a roller coaster because I was saying not too long ago to someone that to get a hysterectomy, I know it doesn't cure endo or anything, but if I don't have ovaries, I can't get an ovarian cyst. Like that's just a fact. Mm. And that seems to be a big problem that I'm having. And um, before you get a hysterectomy and all this stuff, some of the gynecologists that I've seen have told me that you need to get um, a psychologist to clear you, that you can make that choice and you're mentally prepared and all that. And I think to myself, but if you want to be a parent, no one tells you to go see a psychologist and can mentally. No. Um, do you know what I mean? No one yeah. says, okay, she's cleared she's okay to be a mother but to do the opposite I have to be cleared like that just doesn't make any sense so it is quite frustrating and all I'm doing is fighting for it because 
I can't do IVF because of the it overstimulates your ovaries and I grow cysts within 24 hours, so it's extremely dangerous. I've already had two cysts burst inside of me, and I was rushed to the emergency and rushed into hospital, so I don't want that again. Yeah. Um, so the egg retrieval process, it's just it just won't happen for me. I understand they're keeping the ovary in because you're at more risk of having a stroke or a heart attack when you're older, but I keep saying that if I'm 60 and I've had a hysterectomy at 27 and I have a stroke or I have a heart attack, I'm not going to turn around and be like, oh, gosh, I remember when I was 27 they said this would happen because yeah. I would have, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I would, I'm 27 and the last, my whole 20s have just been surgeries. I actually yeah. don't really have a great life. Like I do have a great life, but, I mean, it's always like, oh, you're having surgery in two weeks now you're going to have six weeks off now. Because mm. all up, in your book you say you've you've had 16 surgeries is is that still the right yeah. number? Are you 16? Yeah. It's a lot. I'm actually having, yeah, I'm having another surgery once elective surgery is back on in Melbourne because um, everything is stuck severely bad. It happened straight after surgery. So um, I have to get everything unstuck and the potential of removing my uterus now that it's like just covered with adenomyosis all over it. Mm. And then from there, you mentioned you're looking into hysterectomies. Is that something that you think you'll pursue? Oh, absolutely. I will eventually find someone out there that will do it. If not, I'm just going to have to YouTube how to surgically remove your own reproductive (laughs) Oh, God. I know. Absolutely no, because it gets to the point where apparently it's safer to have two surgeries a year for the rest of my life until they think that my, because I keep calling my ovary a very well-working ovary. And I'm like, have you seen, like, I've got photos of it. And I'm like, I'd like to see it next to an ovary that doesn't work well. Yeah. Because it's producing hormones, yes, but it's producing too many. <laughs> and I have tried every, like, medication you can think of. I've even went on Zolodex, which is actually a cancer cancer treatment for breast cancer and prostate cancer. So I tried the most harshest things um, and nothing has worked. I just feel so frustrated on your behalf that, there's, this, there's something that you've obviously sounds like you've researched quite a lot. You've tried a lot of things and to, f- to not be able to find a medical team that can work with you to, to, to get this done. It, it's just, it's just yeah. so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, gets really frustrating and then you become more like cold hearted and you, your tone of voice gets more aggressive because you just want this done and you can't understand why there's, if there's, you know, surgeons out there that can see the, you know, your life and what's ahead of you and that the surgery is just causing you to become depressed and bad anxiety, like that doesn't matter to them as long as that woman there has those ovaries. But I can go to a cosmetic surgeon and ask them to pretty much remove my nose and they would recommend against it, but just tell me to sign on the dotted lines and go ahead with it because I've given permission, but we can't do that without rest of our body that doesn't make any sense and you don't need to necessarily see a psychologist before you go get any cosmetic procedures done right no absolutely not that's the thing is that just when I got told that they were like I'm when I had to go through a psychologist just to make sure I can be all cleared for it I thought are you kidding me so I'm like but to become pregnant you wouldn't even care where I lived or what I was doing if I had enough money like that's not a thing Um, but you want to know all that before I get a hysterectomy. But I think it's because it's the unknown whether they think that would benefit me or not. But like I said before, if I don't have my last ovary, I can't get any more ovarian cysts. So that kind of 
makes sense in my mind. Yeah. So you mentioned just then also about going through IVF. When you said earlier that you had to go into emergency, um, was that that was was that during your IVF treatments? No, no, no. So I didn't end up going through with the IVF treatment. I planned it all, but they said it was too risky to do the injections or the tablets because of how it overstimulates my ovaries. So they um, just recommended against it. Mm. They also told me that I'd have to have 19 follicles because not each follicle will um, be able to be um, fertilized. So if they have 19, then that's a good number. And so if I went in and done that and they didn't get 19, they would want me to do it again. Mind you, it's really expensive. So you're talking like $25,000 yeah. for two goes. Yeah. It's something that I wouldn't use even if they if they found one egg. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it's- I've still got endometriosis. I've still got adenomyosis, which is in my uterus wall. So it doesn't really look like a nice place a baby wants to be cooking in there. <laughs> like the baby doesn't want to be in there. It's like there are too many things going on in there. <laughs> I know, absolutely. And I feel like you don't, and or people will say stuff to you. I understand there's women out there that will say things like, oh, you'll only ever understand when you're a mother or wait till you're a mother or you're too young. And that can be really like upsetting to hear because how come you can't enjoy your life without having a baby? I don't understand that concept. No, it's, it's quite, it's quite an old school way of thinking that I, I do believe people are starting to grow out of, but I think it's still, still quite a long process. Oh, yes, absolutely. But the more we talk about it and we change the way we talk about it, I think um, we'll start changing everything. And it, I actually saw um, something on Channel 10 the other day about en- endometriosis and treatment for it. And I was just so shocked because I was like, oh, my God, look, they're talking about it. But I shouldn't have been shocked. I should have been like, oh, this is news. Like, great, we're learning about it. But I was so happy that it was on telly. Yeah, yeah. Because I find it strange that it's not still not commonly spoken about as much and and that for it to be on channel 10 is like big is like big news because we've been talking about endometriosis for years now like i yeah. think um at, like at, at women's health um so i just figured that it would have you know gone into mainstream a bit more now so i guess this is why it's a good thing that someone with your profile is like not only talking about it, but you're also an ambassador for for endometriosis Australia, and now with your book yeah. Endo Unfiltered, the message about endo and PCOS can travel further. Yeah, absolutely, and that was the goal. I thought, um, I try, like you know, you get a large following from being on reality TV, and in the influencer life is for some people, but sometimes I can't really be bothered <laughs> to do that. So, I thought, what else can I like? What else can I do with this large following? Because I don't know if Instagram will be around forever. Mm-mm. So at the moment I'm just using it to connect with people and women all around the world. Like, and I'm, and I can't recommend going on Facebook and joining all those endometriosis groups because it is a godsend. You just type a question in there and in 10 seconds, you've got 200 people around the world trying to help you. That's a really, really great tip. Um, I'll make sure yeah. to include um, some of those groups in our show notes as well to make yes. it easier for people to find. It sounds like you are thinking about your career post-influencer life. And I know you studied nursing. Had you Have you been thinking more about what you want to do in the future? Um, well, I've been thinking about potentially starting my own business, but I'm not sure what. I just, 
I really like studying new things and doing new things. And I love the corporate world. I know it's very different. And I'm also into cosmetics. So I was thinking something on the cosmetic line, but I'll probably end up being my own um, customer. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I'm really thinking already about potentially using my platform to write another book, but instead have other people around the world's stories in it that probably never would have been able to do because they don't have the resources or anything, but using me as a helpful guide. That would be a great follow-up to your book. And then you could even yeah, do a was, podcast interviewing all these different people as well. Yeah, because I was thinking about doing it from different culture backgrounds, different countries, yeah. like what they, how they deal with it, what their generation thinks of it or you know just do I'm just really interested and I get these stories personally given to me on my Instagram and I thought I would wonder if I could reach out and maybe have another follow-up book that it's you know all different type of people around the world that have this endometriosis or PCOS and you know that'd be a great story to get out there I think. Has there been a story that you've come across um, that from a different culture that you've thought hey why don't we do that here? Um, no, I, don't, I haven't read anything so far. Nothing yet. Okay. Yeah. I just, I was just curious if like different, yeah, no, different no, cultures nothing. have different approaches. Yeah, absolutely. But I know that there are some cultures out there, you know, that it's very important for women to have children. So I'm interested to reach out to those women who are in a culture like that, where if you don't have a baby, it's kind of frowned upon or, you know, they don't think something do you know what I mean like I don't yeah. know what culture is but I know that it's out there that I'm sure where it's like you can't get pregnant and they think they're ashamed of their family or something and I you know I would love to sympathize with them and just go through everything with them and try and understand how they deal with that because and that's completely hard on another level yeah so how do you deal with that Oh God, I wouldn't know. I'm I'm a very hot-headed person, and at this stage with everything I've gone through, I just I don't know how I would deal with that. <laughs> I think also it's just a bit. I'm I'm so open, and I recently just had someone I was talking to um, that I just met, and they said something like, "Oh, you must be so happy that the kids are back at school because my partner's got kids." And mm. I said, "Oh yeah, they're my partner's kids," and she said. Um, oh, do you you not want children? And I said, oh, no, I just can't have them. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, why? (laughs) Why are you sorry? And she's like, oh, that must be so hard. I'm like, no, I'm totally, like, don't get up. Like, And then I have to console them yeah, because then they're up there. And I'm like, but I think the way I say it is shocking for them because I'm like, oh, no, I can't have kids. That's okay. Yeah. Um, Because it's awkward to beat around the bush and be like, oh, no, maybe later on. I'm not sure. It's like, no, I can't have them. So, but then they get so upset about the the story and maybe I'm just so numb to it. Maybe, or maybe like you said, it's just, you are naturally quite open and a lot of people aren't used to that kind of open conversation surrounding fertility. Yes. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, but it's not upsetting to say, and I feel like if someone does say it to you that um, just be really chill and relax and don't (laughs) say sorry. Yeah. You don't need to apologize. In your book, you also write that at the age of 26 at the time, and I guess 27 now, you feel like an old nana after experiencing everything you have. And I love this graph that you've included in your book of your life that goes from a scale of, ah, fuck, to super amazing. And it's just like squiggles all over the place, just up and down, up and down. Yes. 
So one, we've spoken a lot about the physical side. I was wondering what's it been like on a personal level for you? For example, how has it affected your work and even being on those reality TV shows and relationships? Um, like, like the graph describes, it's all over the place and it's so up and down. I couldn't tell you every day is different. Um, it really affects your personal life, life like you wouldn't believe because you're always cancelling on events. Um, so you're just, you know, you've got to have a good set of friends around you that completely understand. And in the show, it only really got really bad on I'm a Celebrity, which was ironic because I was representing um, endometriosis Australia where I actually had a clot come out of me after I did one of the trials and I had blood dripping down my leg and everyone was so shocked and I was like oh whoopsies and just kind of flicked it away and then just you know put I actually put a sock down there so because I didn't have a pad or a tampon and I just put a sock down there and just continued on until I was able to quickly go have a shower yeah Everyone was just so shocked about how I handled it because like, you okay? That's so much blood. And I was like, oh, God, no, this is this is nothing, guys. It's it's totally cool. And just being so, like, no, not panicky because, of course, you know, someone else's eyes, it would have been scary. But for me, it's just my day-to-day life. Yeah. So it is really tough and it's tough in relationships. So if you don't have a good group of friends or family that support you, I recommend trying to find a good support group because it can be tough on your own. So you've been in your relationship for many years now, but for someone yeah, going so in four years, yeah. four years. <laughs> so, for, yeah. so for someone going into a new relationship, do you have any advice for them of, of, of how you talk about your experiences and how it might affect your relationship on a day-to-day level? Yeah, I, I think that you should get to know the person a lot before you get into a relationship and have these discussions with them before making a commitment to get into a relationship because I feel like everything's rosy at the start so Mm. if you talk about as is a dating they might not see how they deal with it um and if they can't deal with it then they're not right for you I did say in my book that um it's a lot easier to recover from surgery alone than it is in a house with someone who causes you nothing but grief so yeah is that from a particular personal experience yeah, so I do talk about it in my book. We just changed the some people's names where when I was, was it 19, I think, or 20, and I was with one of my exes and um, I always felt like I had to have sex with them and they told me if I didn't then that they'll go somewhere else and that's what women do and I was so afraid. I was always in so much pain and there was one time I had to be rushed. I had surgery and I had sex 24 hours and I felt so embarrassed and I had to go to the hospital because my legs started swelling and um, I just thought, oh, but I have to because he's going to leave me. Mm. And I wasn't forced, but that was just in my mind and how he made me feel. And the re- I tried to recover quicker to show him that I'm fine. Like, you don't need to leave me. I'm fine. I'm not, something's not wrong with me. And then as I got out of that relationship and I grew older, I realized, what the hell? Yeah. Like, I should have kicked him out ages ago. And how disrespectful and disgusting when someone's just come out of surgery to make them feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's horrible um I feel you you kind of just want to go back to like 19 year old Erin and give her a hug and a pep talk and be like get out I know and I see like when I see younger girls these days and I just think I was so stupid back then but in all honesty you won't know this stuff until you go through it because it's just like when I was 15, 16, 17, and I would have someone older tell me advice and I'd be like, oh, shut up, you guys are so old. Like, I know what you're doing. 
you know what I mean? And then yeah. until it happens, now I'm older. Now I'm that person being like, listen to me, God damn it, listen to me. Why won't you listen? I know. So now I understand, like, really, you have to go through life experiences to get your own opinion and things how to work. This is a tangent that I didn't think we'd be going on in this chat, but for, <laughs> I guess, for women listening, how do you recognize then that you're in that kind of emotionally, I guess you'd call it emotionally abusive relationship? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, it is. I reckon if I go back, I think the signs were them trying to convince me that or trying to tell me how I have to get better and and asking me really odd questions like, oh, so how long is this going to last? But with the tone of voice of it was a pain in the ass, Mm. not being like, are you okay? Like how's recovery? Not trying to be caring, just more focused on themselves, not on me or the operation. Not saying it's everyone's problem, but if it's your boyfriend and or girlfriend and you, you think that person loves you, you would think they would be more concerned about you and your health instead of, um, you know, how long is this going to be or how long are you going to be in bed for instead of being like, you know, take your time, I'm here for you, anything you need. Yeah. So I think words that they use, tone of like the way their tone is, and honestly just to see how much they they do for you. And I don't mean buy you things or anything. I mean basic things like moving a pillow while you've just come out of surgery, like moving it to the left even though you've just asked to move it to the right. Do you know what I mean? Like nothing's an issue. Yeah, little considerate things. Um, is yeah, that- absolutely. Were these the kind of things that Mick had done that you were like, oh, yeah, this guy's a keeper? Yeah, and he actually said to me, so I was so used to apologising um, and I was just so used to doing things on my own after surgery because I didn't want people to think I, anything was wrong with me. So when I had my first surgery when I was with Mick, um, I would get out of bed and try and heat up the wheat pack or something. And he'd be like, what are you doing? I told you to stay there. I'll get it. I'm like, no, no, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's okay. Like, you stay there. I'm not going to bother you. He's like, Erin, what the hell? You've just had surgery. You should not be moving. And I'm like, oh, no, but, like, I just don't want you to get mad or, or think that I can't do it. Like, I know you've just worked all day. Like, please don't get angry. And he's like, what? Get angry. He's like, he reassured me. He's like, you have just had surgery. Like, you need to go back into bed. It's not a problem. And even talking about sex-wise, I I straight came out of surgery and said, I'm so sorry, but we won't be able to have sex. And I'm like, is that a big deal for you? And I, I apologise. And he was like, Erin, why are you even discussing that with me? That shouldn't even be something we're talking about. It's like, yeah. you just had surgery. We're going to focus on getting better. But I was so used to doing that that it just came out. And I honestly couldn't stop apologising. And now... I've learned from that where if anything ever happened between Mick and I, never again would I ever apologize to a man about having surgery. No, God, no. Mick's taught me that there is men, there's men out there that are so, so respectful and understanding. You've just got to find the right one. Mm, yeah. Um, speaking of sex, you also, you also write about painful sex in your book and you call it the elephant in the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, from your own experience, what, is some advice that you have for other women who are going through this? Just being honest with your partner, saying that, you know, you are sore um, and experimenting with all different types of ways. You don't just have to have, like, you know, you can't, you don't just have to penetrate each other. You can use other toys and things and talk about, be open about what works for you because I think what happens, well, what happens in my mind is my, I've trained my mind to think that sex is painful so even Mm. if I'm not sore my mind is telling me that now we're about to get you know doing having sex that it's gonna be painful so I'm already tensed up and I can't get comfortable and I already think I'm sore but I'm not so I've trained my mind that so you just have to retrain 
your mind that everything's okay, take things slow, um, have a partner that is, like I keep saying, like is understanding and willing to be patient and see what works and see what doesn't work. Because I can tell you right now when I had those cysts and everything is stuck together, I couldn't even put a tampon in without screaming because the pressure up mm. there was so bad. And if a partner really loves you, they don't want to have sex with you and see you in pain. No. that's not. I don't think that's arousing at all. Oh, God, no. <laughs> and that's an extreme amount of pain to be experiencing. Oh, uh, badly. Yeah. I feel like one of my theories is what, <laughs> about why there are so many women who are undiagnosed is because yes. we, we've grown up with this idea that periods are just painful. Yeah. And so when it happens, you just think it's normal and you don't do anything about it and you just go on with life like it's just yeah. a part of life. And it, even yeah. in your book you write, you mention like a similar story of when you first got your period and you asked your mum if you could just stay home and she was like, no, you, you still have to go to school. Yeah, and I was like, are you kidding? I'm dying. How, how dare you? She was like, I'm going to go to work. I'm like, you're, you're going to leave your youngest child here to die? Yeah. I'm like, I'm bleeding. Yeah, and she's like, she put a pad on for me. And I said, what is this diaper? I can't walk in this. And she's like, you've got to go. Like, we're going to school. And I was like, oh, my God, my mother wants me to die. And she's, I'm bleeding out and this is happening. And I always grew up with watching my sisters and my mum had awful periods, like, on the floor screaming. And I used to be mm. like, oh, God, like, they look like they're in pain and my mum would always be like, you know, just wait till you're older. You'll be getting that too. Periods are awful. They come around once a month. And then I'm like, I really got the worst of the worst. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're laughing about it, but it's true though that this there's this whole, this idea that periods are supposed to be painful and then no one actually goes to seek help. So if you're listening and your periods are giving you a tough time, go use this oh, as a, a sign to go talk to someone and if they don't listen to you find someone else who will listen to you yeah and feel free to leave that gp room um without saying goodbye <laughs> if someone is treating you or gaslighting you and not listening to what you're saying and you know just do everything you can to get to the point where you've ticked off the boxes you want for help and you've had enough you're like okay I've done all this I'm happy don't let other people tell you how to fix your own body hmm. and I think like the other things we've spoken about today it's something that you learn with time as well and experience yes because that's the only thing that I, you can only really learn these things from experience like I wouldn't expect 14 year old me to be like oh, I'm going to go to the GP and tell him I want surgery yeah so but I'm just hoping that maybe parents out there that are listening to this or read my book um, get that courage and empowerment to be like there's a better way like I always say you can go to surgery when you're free to have your tonsils out, but they won't give you um, keyhole surgery to successfully diagnose you with endometriosis because that's the only way you can get diagnosed. You've got to have a biopsy of what they suspect is endo, but mm. instead they'll give you all this medication and give you all this stuff before they refer you. But it's the only way to be diagnosed of so why can't we just do it quicker for the younger kids like we do when they have to get their tonsils out. It's still general anaesthetic. Yeah. It kind of makes me think too about, I remember going to the doctor, talking to them, telling them about my period pain, um, just wanting to manage that. But then also explaining to them that around the time of my period, I also get, I just have low energy and my mood go, um, is quite low. 
and yeah. she wanted to prescribe me antidepressants. I'm like, no, you're not listening oh to me. God. I think, I, do you know what? I reckon every person listening to this can relate. I think we have all been told to go on an antidepressant when we say that we're feeling real sad around our period. Isn't that wild? It's bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Yeah. Oh, that is crazy. Yeah. I asked this question in passing earlier, but I really want to know how it's affected your work and career because having to go through 16 different surgeries yeah. over your lifetime from the age of what, 15, 14, 14 15? I know. I have to answer that question like bluntly. It's just hit and miss because I thought when I was younger, it wasn't that bad. As I've gotten older, it's worse. So it's, you know, I think being on reality TV had given me that opportunity to have all those surgeries because then I could be at home and not have to worry about a nine to five job. Mm. But like I said, I have to have another surgery soon. So uh, you can't really have a job um, that involves doing much because you, what you're going to call them on a Tuesday and say, I can't come in. I'm in a lot of pain, but yesterday you're jumping up and down. So excited having the best day, but today you can't move. Like they're going to, no one will ever believe you, which is the most frustrating part. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess too, so you studied nursing. I feel, I, I don't know, maybe someone listening is a nurse who has endo or PCOS who'd like to share their own story with us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. But I can imagine yeah. that would be such a hard occupation to also then be dealing with all these symptoms. Yeah, because you're on your feet all the time. So yeah. I also think of like hairdressers. How do they deal with that? Um, like standing up for a long period of time. Like how how does anyone even deal with any job with endometriosis? I'm I love hearing not love it, but like I like to hear the stories from all different women and how they deal with it and how their workplace tolerates it and what they how they go about their you know HR or management when this does happen. Because I know a lot of people have tried to go on say the disability pension for endometriosis because they just cannot work and they're not getting the treatment they want and no one will hire them because of how much they take time off work and it's just Mm. it just goes around and around yeah it's like I want to find a solution but maybe someone out there is working on a solution I don't know I don't know I hope so COVID hasn't been great but it's probably been, been super beneficial for women that were having to travel to the city or somewhere to the office and now they could stay home and work and have that heat pack on them yeah. and sit when they need to and things like that. So I'm glad that there's that work from home option now. Yeah, for those who can. And I guess too, yeah. like to have <laughs> the really good employees who understand this and then will let you work around um, when you when you just need those days when you yes, can't do absolutely. anything. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's another, you know, it's another scenario where how do you even say to your boss, you know, oh, I've got really bad endo pain. They're going to be like, what do you mean? And it's like, oh, it's kind of, you know, bad period. You know, have you heard of that? And then it goes around, they're thinking, oh, just some cramps. Yeah. Unless someone's really well educated on the topic, they're never going to understand us. Yeah. This is this is the um, goal then, Erin, to educate everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's why the book is out there too. So if your boss is being an asshole because you've got endo pain, throw the book at him and tell him you need a date. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I just have this picture of like thousands of women, women doing that. Being like, yeah, <laughs> they use my book as a weapon instead of a reading. <laughs> I want to know what have you tried to help manage um, your endo and PCOS that's worked for you? Um, to answer that question honestly, 
I haven't found anything yet that is working, that has worked 100%. I used Mm -hmm. to find exercising through some of the pain when I was younger used to work a lot better. But now because I've had so many surgeries and they mainly started in 2019 all the way up to today, um, I've just been heavily medicated the majority of the time. So I, I don't have a good answer for that. But what I can say is if you have a good TENS machine and a wheat pack, if you don't want to medicate yourself because your doctor is like recommends against it, mm. a TENS machine and a wheat pack and your favourite food and also don't worry about putting on weight or losing weight, just worry about getting better. What else do you do for your wellbeing to make sure that you are looking after yourself? I think it's... Um, just because I do get anxiety sometimes and I get super overwhelmed. Mm. So just taking some time to talk to yourself. I hope that doesn't sound weird, but just to talk to yourself and just ground yourself to where you are and what your body's going through. And just remember that you're still here um, and you're still fighting and, you know, you eventually will get through this. It's just a bit tough at the moment, but just keep reassuring yourself that things will eventually get better. A massive thank you to Erin for sharing her experiences. My hope is that hearing Erin's story inspires you to speak up if you need to, or go see a doctor if you've been silently suffering in pain. For more information about endo, the Endometriosis Australia website is a great starting point. We've also included links to Facebook support groups in our show notes as well. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebilagen. For more from us, pick up a copy of Women's Health Australia with Jess Fox on the cover, which you can grab in stores and digitally via Zinio and Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au or follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you're a victim in an abusive relationship, call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732 for support.